Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And as many of you know, at the beginning of this year, I told you that the emphasis of the show was going to be moving more and more in the direction of social transformation because of the remarkable times that we're in. It's time to take our wholeness and our spirituality and to substantiate it out into the world, into the fabric of our daily lives, our relationships, our groups, our organizations, our institutions, our communities, and ultimately our planet. And um, as we do that, one of the things that we discover is that we live in a world where certain thoughts are allowed for people and then there's kind of like this thought police where certain thoughts are not allowed unless you really are thinking for yourself and that's been going on for a long time but lately that game has been crystallizing more fully than ever before even at the level of the media to the point now where we're having this drama about quote unquote fake news. And that of course is an expression and a reflection of all sorts of dysfunctional things in our society. But at any rate, I think it's so important to have voices out there that are seeing clearly and are speaking and writing clearly and even more than clearly in ways that are inspiring and move people into new ways of being and new ways of seeing, and which leads to new types of conversations and new types of actions. And so with that as a background, I'm very excited about today's show because I will be introducing you to a journalist who um, I think is just amazing named Katie Johnstone from the East Coast of Australia. And she not only does fantastic work, but she's very prolific. Lately, she's been writing at least once, sometimes even twice a day on newslog.com. That's N-E-W-S-L-O-G-U-E.com. Anyway, I'm so inspired by Katie and what she's writing that I just had to reach out to her and get to know her better and share her all with you. So Katie, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Thank you, David, and what a wonderful introduction. I wasn't expecting that, that was, that was really, really great, thank you. Well, thank you. And uh, as you know, things have been really bizarro here in the United States the last several months. And uh, it seems like ever since a few months ago when it became obvious to a lot of us that uh, Bernie was railroaded out of 
his rightful place, basically, as the Democratic nominee. It seems like ever since that happened, things have just been going totally crazy more and more and more to the point where the the uh, the Democratic Party was completely co-opted by the cabal and uh, this neoliberalism just started uh, rearing its ugly head and the thought police was coming out more and more and more yeah. and uh, well, that's true. I think you can see it that way. But I actually think probably more what happened was that that had always been there. I don't know for how long. But uh, what Bernie did was that he pushed through that neoliberal establishment and forced their hand. They had to do very weird and disgusting and criminal things right out in the light in order to try and stop him. That's what I mean. It became more obvious. And uh, one thing, unless Bernie was threatened uh, or his family was threatened, one thing I didn't understand is why he didn't make more of an issue of uh, election fraud and voter fraud. That was really interesting um, because he certainly had the opportunity there and from what we've, you know, the evidence that have just uncovered since, he had ample evidence to go and um, uh, and get people to look closer into it. Uh, we, we know now that pretty much the whole election was rigged in every way, you know, from the exit polls, we, we can tell that there were, there were problems with, um, with, well, it's either voting machines or um, we also know that there was, you know, anomalies, there was voter purges, there was just anything that you could conceive of, they did to in order to try and stop him um, from winning it. And I think it's also interesting to note that he possibly could have contested that convention and won. We will never know if that's true. But the he was all about the contested convention until that... Um, interview that he had with Obama. I don't know if you remember or, or got to see that, but he had a meeting with Obama that he went in there like a little boy, like he was skipping and stuff. Well, not quite skipping, but he, he was obviously very affectionate towards Obama um, and, and felt to have a good relationship with him. And then he came out and he was quite a changed man. Um, well, that's another re another area where I thought he or his family might have been threatened because then he started to campaign for Hillary, but you could tell that he was just going through the motions. Yeah, well, he didn't actually campaign straight away from that moment. Uh, there was, if I re recall it correctly anyway, there was a few days there where he was still about the contested convention uh, and then he was forced to endorse her and then on the day before, I think, or maybe the morning of the convention, he came out and said, you know, uh, we're going to pretty much concede. Um, and that was after, well, like the, the, there was so much excitement around that. People had flooded from the, all parts of the country to get there as delegates. And, you know, where I was um, very involved in the Bernie Sanders Facebook groups during the campaign. 
And I came to really love these people, but there were so many people who had put everything on the line for the Sanders campaign. You know, they, they already had nothing and they were scraping together like pennies just to, uh, to, to either get a delegate there or to get themselves there um, because everyone really believed in him. We believed that this was the, the, the way through. And it was. I, I don't think you can dispute that. It was the way through. Uh, and Bernie, even though he didn't contest the convention and he did go on to, to spruik for Hillary, only really showed up more and more what we were dealing with. Because, um, <laughs> you know, he was saying these things about her and we couldn't hear that passion anymore. He wasn't rooted in the earth's crust like he was uh, during the... Um, the primary rallies and things, you know, there was a real resonance to his voice when he was speaking during those rallies that resonated with everyone. You know, if, if you heard him speak, you were fell in love with him. And that's why they stopped. Uh, the, um, they, they put a big media blackout on him and they, they reduced, you know, it was something like 25 debates they usually have and they reduced it to six. They wanted to limit people's exposure to him because he was on a roll and he was, he was speaking for everyone. And then he had to um, endorse Hillary. And from then on, there was a, there was a little wobble on his voice, wasn't there? He, yes. wasn't, he, he wasn't quite in there. He got unplugged from the motherboard. He did, yeah, uh, by necessity. But we noticed. So we didn't... And that to me was one of the great things of this year was that um, we as a species have been uh, reliant on the alpha leader. You know, the alpha will come up and we'll go, oh, he's the one, he's the one. Let's listen to him. Let's follow him. And he did that. And then as soon as he showed himself not to be quite as plugged in as, um, as he was before, we, we dropped back into ourselves. And we split up and there was groups, you know, some went with the Greens and some went with the writing and some went to Hillary or whatever. But, um, uh, you know, that those who were really listening and really tuned into him were, were like, I'm, I don't think, I have to now go to my own inner guidance. He's, he's not, you know, the saviour. Yeah. I now have to go back to myself. And I think that's really important. That was a really important thing for all of us this year. I think to, to keep the, the year just kept sending us back to ourselves going, the truth isn't out there, it's in here, it's in here. And I think the fake news thing and everything like that, you know, we, we've, we discovered during the year that our media was completely lying to us. And then our media lied to us and said that everyone else is lying to you, we're the truthful ones. Um, so we have no solid point of truth anymore that we can all point to and go, oh, that is the truth. We only have ourselves. And I think that's, uh, that was a uh, wonderful revelation for all of us. Interesting. You know, I found myself, uh, as we got closer and closer to the election, I found myself being compelled almost by a, by a force that was greater than my individual personhood to become very active on Facebook to do what I could to 
expose the whole Hillary cabal connection. And yeah. I felt that there was a real possibility that if Hillary had won, based on what I had seen, the way they were posturing with NATO against Putin and Syria, I felt there was a real possibility of having a major, major war right around the corner. And um, I did everything I could to attempt to expose what Hillary actually has done in her life and what she hasn't done and what she has said and what she hasn't said. And uh, I did everything that I could and I felt compelled. It was a weird experience. I felt like I had to do it. I knew I was going to ruffle some feathers. I knew I was going to lose some quote unquote friends or credibility, but I didn't care. I felt compelled to do it yeah same <laughs> same <laughs> there was something else driving me there uh it still is it still is i can't um i can't put the pen down yet i don't feel safe yet i right they i think the, that war is still on the horizon i think there are very powerful interests that still want that to happen um but I have noticed that they're having diminishing returns for their investment in lying. Uh, it's not working the way, it's certainly not working the way it would have a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's not even working the way it would have a couple of months ago. Where, no, it um, seems to be backfiring. It seems that the, uh, the online movement to really get to the bottom of you know, in terms of evidence-based journalism and reporting, it seems like that is the phoenix that is rising from the ashes. Right. Well, yeah, because evidence-based reporting was pretty much dead. And I don't know if we actually knew that until this election. Well, we, we well, I mean, we all knew that Fox News liked to make up the agenda for the Republicans. But I'm not sure that the Liberals knew how, how much they were being lied to and how completely um, the story that they were being told was, was 180 degrees off true. Well, it's very sad to see what has happened to MSNBC. Yeah. You know, I, I thought a few years ago that there were some real possibilities there and it got to the point where it was so disgusting to the point where when things didn't go the way the script was supposed to go, it got even worse because they, that gave them an opportunity if they wanted to step back and reevaluate, but they just doubled down on their agenda. Right. And that's what we saw over and over and over again, right across the board. There's so many people who, who could have just, taken a step in the right direction. Um, but we saw them keep walking in the wrong one, right out in the open. <laughs> you know, after everyone had said, hey, you're lying, and they just kept lying. You know, one of the things... They didn't know what else to do. Like, yes. One of the things that's so ironic is that the people who 
the neoliberals who are freaked out that Trump is president, if, if they hadn't pulled their shenanigans, Bernie would be president. Right. <clears throat> so it's really bizarre. Yeah, well, they, but they don't think anything more than a few days before and a few days ahead, though. It's all... Uh, they can't remember the primaries. That was years ago, according to them, and we should have got over it and we were crybabies and it was, you know, um, while, while they had their little tantrum about losing the election at the same time. So, yeah. But it's all, I think it's all mind viruses. That's how I term it. Um, when I'm writing my articles, I look for mind viruses. And that is, my definition of that is a, is a slogan or a, an idea that has been created by the establishment to enslave us to their agenda. And so that can be, um, you know, anything from the Russians at the moment, that's their, their thing right now. Um, and they, they're working really hard on that mind virus, making us afraid of the Russians. How long since we've been scared of the Russians, you know? This is, this is so vintage. This is so retro. Our, um, our propaganda is coming from, you know, the 50s now. It's like Danish modern. <laughs> um, they, yeah, so that, that's one of the, their key um, spells. Uh, it's like black magic. If they say something long enough, hard enough, and with enough conviction, then people will believe it as true and then it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is what magic is. Right. Uh, and, and what defines black magic from white magic is black magic is when the, the agenda is from ego, from right. a few individuals' interests rather than from the higher interest. Absolutely. So, and then another, another thing that... Um, you were writing about just today, I think, that is total insanity is the idea that if you challenge the neoliberal agenda, that you're in bed with Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very tightly knitted in with people's um, consciousness right now. Um, you will get that knee-jerk reaction, and that's what I... That's a mind virus. So yes. you, are, you are saying this, so that means this, this illogical, you know, conspiratorial thing. So it's a, it's a weird, paranoid thought. Um, but somehow they have the whole of America thinking that if you side with, uh, you know, if you, yeah, like if you side, pretty much if you side with the side of truth at the moment, you must be with Trump. That's, that seems to be their, their reaction. Yes, yeah. yes, it's really a very, um, it's almost a psychopathic state of consciousness where you're, where you're so divorced from reality that that, that occurs to you as the truth. Uh, yeah, I think, but I think that has been our state for thousands of years and we are waking up out of it, um, but uh, slowly. <laughs> 
or quickly, depending on how you look at things. But I, I do think that we've probably been, most of us have been there most of our lives where, where um, you know, it's, it's, it's un, unknown to most humans how hackable we are, how yes. submissive we are, how easily swayed we are by word magic. <clears throat> um, and, you know, the, the veil over that is, is our own egotistical ideas of, you know, how we're free thinkers and we have free will and we're awesome and, of course, I don't, I don't just go along with the herd, like, you know, uh, which was part of the neoliberal, one of the neoliberal mind viruses was to tell people, oh, yes, you're open-minded, you're open-minded, you're like, you're a critical thinker, you're a, you know, you're an evidence-based person. Therefore, you must look to the corporate media, the established media, for your information because <clears throat> that is information that has been vetted and it's, it's real, it's real information. Um, it's so, so bizarre. It's so bizarre given the track record of the CIA that, <laughs> that, that these people would think that because the CIA said something, it must be true when <laughs> we admit that their job is to obfuscate the truth. That is their total job, isn't it? I mean, they invented PSYOPs. That was, that's one of their great inventions. They are there to disrupt us. They are there to, to plant ideas in our minds and, and in international um, narrative as well. Um, it's crazy. I, I, I've had, I've had more than a few beam me up, Scotty moments <laughs> in, in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. We're really seeing the insanity play out, are we? I mean, it does feel like like I I kept thinking, especially during the Bernie thing. Ah, this is like the zombie apocalypse, you know. I didn't know it was going to to like people would talk about the zombie apocalypse, but I didn't know that that would actually come true, but it would look like that. It would be just like, oh, you guys are all just repeating the same talking points over and over and over again. Um, and you're not listening to each other and you bounce one talking point off the other and it's all very reactionary. It's like watching ping pong balls. Um, then I, did, I just didn't know how many people were like that? Because I've uh, actually been a part of, you know, a lot of enlightenment communities and spiritual awakening groups and things like that. And so I would have thought that I knew a lot of people who had woken up to the, to the ideas that we, had, we were being manipulated <clears throat> um, and that really our own inner truth was the only one we could trust. I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of commitment to face the shadows, both individual and collective. And my experience is that as I did the work and I confronted and integrated all the aspects of myself as an individual, then the next opportunity was to assist in that same transmutative, transformative process at the level of the collective. And when you begin to honestly examine the dynamic at that level of the collective, if you really want to get into it, it takes you to some really dark places. And, yeah. and to keep your balance with all of that and not become 
depressed and part of the problem is really a very heroic journey. And to get to the point where you can honestly see what is going on without that taking in taking you into a fear and panic space requires uh, a very high level of spiritual maturity and development that at this point right now in Western civilization is not very common. Well, I think you might be right. I mean, that, that is what we're seeing. I was reminded, you know, this morning, um, I wrote a tweet about the CIA and Assange and how if you believe the CIA, then we have, we blame Russia and we have a war with them. If you believe Assange, then, then we have to do some tough self-reflection and some deep inner work that, that will be painful and will require movement and will require like looking at our sins and going, oh, did we really do that? Is that really us? Is that what we do? Um, and so I guess that's what the, that, if you're a sincere spiritual seeker, you are always choosing to see. You're always choosing Assange, aren't you? You're always choosing to, to, to look internally and see where, where you may be at fault and where you're misperceiving things and what your sins, or for want of a better word, are. Um, but if you're an insincere seeker, you will be looking to blame others. <clears throat> Yeah, I really think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Trump being uh, Time Magazine's Man of the Year. I really think uh, a song should have been the Time's Man of the Year because um, he's leveraging his impact in a huge way. And if it weren't for a song, we would have Hillary. Right. <clears throat> he's done an amazing job really, um, under extreme duress and under extreme psychological pressure, you know. Sure. You can't walk five steps in front of him without meeting a wall. No sunshine, no internet access now. He can't even, you know, amuse himself with cat memes. Like, um, and yet he, he stuck it out uh, for the benefit of the planet. Yep. So, yeah, I agree with you there. I, I definitely think he's, he was the man of the year. But uh, it's Time Warner's not going to award Julian Assange the man of the year. Um, Can we talk about Jill Stein? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so uh, let me talk for a little bit and then i turn it over to you. So, so after Bernie started uh, half-heartedly speaking out for Hillary... Um, I decided that I would vote for Jill Stein, um, and I did. And then I was really disappointed that when she chose to make an issue out of election integrity, which I thought was a great idea, I think she shot herself in the foot by only challenging the states that Trump one closely, I think she played right into George Soros's hands there. And I think she damaged her credibility. And I think she could have had a much bigger impact if she had done it with states on going both ways. And um, 
I was really sad about that because I think she damaged herself in ways that I don't think she intended. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, having spoken to her at length a few times now, I can tell you damaging her reputation does not concern her whatsoever. She is very egoless. Like she, she, she has been pushed up by people to, in order to do this thankless task of, of running for the Green Party. You know, you immediately under gunfire as being a spoiler and, you know, not worthy and what are you doing here? And it's just an awful, awful role to advocate for the progressive agenda, which, you know, traditionally in American politics has not been a popular one. Um, so she, she put herself up for that before Bernie. Like, she was going to do that before Bernie. And then when Bernie came in and he did such an amazing job and she could see he was doing the job that she hoped the Greens could do, she actually said to him, I will, you know, pass over the baton and you can you can be on the top of the ticket at the Green Party. And that was a very selfless, egoless act. You know, she could see there. She doesn't care how it gets done. She just wants it to get done. So when she went for election integrity, which they always do, it's a Green Party platform, they always uh, spend a lot of time and, um, and their own money looking into election integrity because it's such an issue in American politics. The, um, you know, if you uh, just election, there's a lot of groups that, that look into it and it, it's something like, I can't remember what the stats are, but America comes dead last in all Western civilizations um, for election integrity, dead last, you know, the, the, the birthplace of democracy and it, it, it comes last. So because of, you know, electronic voting and all these other weird things, you know, voter suppression and the, the, you have to do weird things to, to actually vote and all of that stuff. So it's very much a part of their platform. They always, always, always push on it. If there's anomalies in, in elections, then they always do their best to question those. Um, <clears throat> and the ones they chose to go for were the ones that were the most obvious were the ones where there was, you know, clearly something going wrong. Interestingly, and I haven't really looked this up because I've been busy with other stories, but I did see some tweets come out that Hillary lost a ton of votes in, uh, I think it was in Wisconsin, um, and they found out that they were fake votes because, <laughs> uh, you know, they're... Both sides of the fence, Republican and Democrats, or both heads of the one-headed monster, I kind of think of them, have this kind of gentleman's agreement that they will cheat. <laughs> that, that there is some, there will always be cheating, which is why they don't actually ever question the vote, why they leave it up to people like Jill Stein to do it. So um, Jill knew, and we discussed this, I discussed this with her personally, she knew that, that anomalies would come up on both sides of the fence and she knew that good things would come out of it too. The last time they did it, um, a whole raft of voting machines, uh, one particular type of them, were made redundant because they were found to be faulty. 
um, and they found many other issues this time too. It's always money well spent. And whether Soros is giving her the money or whoever for their own agenda, it's money being given to shine light on very, very shadowy corners of American politics. Uh, the election system is in a shambles uh, and any, any money, any, any eyes that we can get on that, scrutinising it, is a good idea. So um, in, in any way, she... So, so I think that, you know, she did the right thing. And, yeah, of course, you know, she, she put a lot of people outside. Um, there was a lot of angst, um, I think, because <clears throat> the general feeling among the Greens was, and the Green voters was that um, Trump is not good, but it's better than World War III. And so they, they had their fear rise up about perhaps giving her the election, giving Hillary the election through... Um, through questioning the um, vote, which of course could have happened, um, but it didn't. So I, I think she did the right thing. I think at this stage of the game, the only thing we can do is the right thing. Uh, it's, you know, we just need as much data and as much truth as possible from whatever quarters. There is so much obfuscation, there is so much spin on everything. The more data that we can collect, the better for everyone. And that's what I think she did. I think she, she gathered up a lot of money and, and put it to, to getting data. Which Do you think really she chose those states as a gambit because she knew that Soros would finance it? Oh, I don't think so. I think that, that she has a team of people who look into these things and um, they, they would have come up with the states that had, the, you know, the clearest... Uh, you know, anomalies and um, most questionable exit polls or um, there would have been a weighing process of, mm. of, of which states to look at. But <clears throat> it turned out it wasn't that good for Hillary either because... Um, yeah, I just, uh, I just think that uh, she, 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 took it to, she, she took a withdrawal from her trust bank account with her base. Yeah, well, I think in the end it'll pay off because I, I think we can trust her to be someone who always does the right thing, even if it's not our ag agenda. The Green Party agenda mm -hmm. was to, you know, <laughs> just lay low. We, 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 we're not going to go to World War Three, so that's good. Okay. And... Um, but the, the higher agenda, the highest agenda, was to seek truth pretty much at any cost, even if it was going to, um, to create more disruption for ourselves. So I, th I think she made the right choice, and I think history will bear her out on that. Well, I hope you're right, and I, I, uh, I hear your respect for her. Um, let's talk about Pizzagate. Um, I made a prediction a couple of weeks ago I said that I thought this was going to end up being the biggest scandal in American history, that it was going to be 20 times bigger than Watergate, that it's the tip of an iceberg, and that you can see that the powers that be are doing everything possible 
to make it verboten to even investigate this. And uh, I'm optimistic that the cat is out of the bag and uh, that there are powerful forces on the good side that um, are committed to seeing this through and leveraging this opportunity to, as you talk about, expose the truth so that we can heal. And um, I think it could be the most incredible doorway to exposing the underbelly of, uh, of the international, uh, I don't know what to call it, the international network. And uh, I wanted to get your take on it, both as a uh, citizen of the planet and as a journalist. Are, are journalists that are committed to the truth coming out are they just acting as lone wolves right now? Or is there any kind of uh, concerted cooperative effort to really get at what is really going on here? Well, actually, I think in terms of journalism, we're seeing uh, something akin to what happened with Bernie. Um, and in that we're seeing crowdsourced journalism come into play here. I think... Uh, uh, you know, there's there's been a few. I know David Seaman, who used to work for Huffington Post, has gone rogue, and he does a lot of work on it. Um, but did you not know that? Uh, did you know that YouTube took down one of his videos this last week? Yeah, I did know that they were taking them down. Yeah. So we're clearly hovering over something enormous. They don't just take down videos of like you know the uh, flat Earth project or like they <laughs> any other conspiracy theory like they, they right they they um they just ridicule you and um and then leave you alone so there's there's something going on uh it feels like looking at a a an impressionist painting really close up um to me you i i feel like well there's a dot that is definitely a thing but it's not in and of itself, it's not evidence. Like it's, you know, it's circumstantial. But there's so much circumstantial evidence. Um, and some of it is disinfo as well. There's, there's been a concerted effort on uh, the behalf of, uh, of the CIA to uh, persuade everyone to look into the comet pizza, the ping pong pizza angle of uh, James Elephantis and... Uh, what's going on there and uh my gut says that that's a very convenient sidelight you know he right he's he he's a maybe a dodgy guy who who may have uh indulged in um this before and so he certainly thinks it's cool uh all his iconography around uh that pizza place and in his instagram and everything is very he thinks there's a cool factor which disgusts me about pedophilia from from him, and you can see there's like a a network of people who think it's cool. That doesn't mean they're actually doing it. Maybe they just think it's cool uh, because it's so you know so taboo. Uh, and I feel like we're being herded towards looking to to him and the 
so-called underground tunnels and whether or not he has a basement and what it, what's in his sauce bottles and all these little nitty-gritty weird things that are very shiny but are distracting from the fact that we're, we're, we're starting to get the picture of a massive child trafficking pedophile ring. Um, and which, includes, I, uh, which includes organ harvesting. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah. Everything, everything I hear about actually makes me feel physically ill. If I hear new information about it, I, it makes me want to rich. But uh, okay. How can, how can, I don't know enough about how investigative journalists work. How, if this, if this is going to be, if, if this is going to be cracked open, how is it going to be cracked open? Well, we'll have to see. This is the thing. I, I don't think one journalist is going to crack it. That's I think, what I'm saying. How is it going to happen? I think the, the crowd journalism that we're seeing through message boards like Reddit, and now vote because they got shut down as well. They're not allowed to um, talk about Pizzagate on Reddit anymore. So they've all moved to a, another message board called Vote VOAT. Um, and they are working really hard on it. And there is really impassioned people who are with extremely intelligent minds from all walks of life looking into this stuff you know some have had a like a previous uh interest or like a background in um on, in researching this stuff and some are new to it but um they're collaborating in a really unprecedented way to find out what what is going on and it's confusing and there are you know uh roadblocks and there are dead ends and there are uh disinfo campaigns that are you know dragging them from from what's going on, but they're doing a really great job of seeding out unsettling info into the public's eye so that people who their cognitive dissonance has kept them from looking into this and has kept them from thinking too much about it uh, with that blanket of conspiracy theory over it. Like if you say yeah. the word conspiracy theory, then you throw a blanket over it because moving towards it means that you get ridiculed and um, <clears throat> so you can hide pretty much anything under that. Um, I just think our relationship with uh, women and children and the Native Americans and Mother Earth, that this is the shadow side of, um, of our psyche and that we have all these incredible opportunities for healing now in terms of what's going on with Standing Rock, the, the emergence of Pizzagate. It just seems like if you look at it from the point of view of a collective cleanse, cleansing process, it just seems like everything is happening almost all at once. And if you can if you can be in a place where you see the big picture, you can move with it and have it work for you. But if you're attached to the, uh, if you're attached to the uh, prevailing thought forms out there, it's gotta be just uh, psychologically horrific. Yeah, right. 
Well, I'm fighting it both, actually, personally. I, I have dreams about it. Um, I'm finding it extremely disturbing. I mean, you have children. I have kids, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, they, it really worries me. It, it, and it breaks my heart that there are mothers, you know, out there who have lost children to, to things like this, whether or not it's got anything to do with DC or whatever. Um, you find out some, some really horrible things about humanity and how we've treated women and children. You're familiar with uh, Kathy O'Brien? Uh, yeah. Now, I haven't been able to actually bring myself to, to listen to her testimony. It's powerful. Powerful. Very, um, very, very powerful. So if you're ever up to it, um, it's incredible. Um, let's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's take a step back then. And uh, <laughs> yeah. let's take a step back. You know, you obviously are incredibly gifted as a writer and you're passionate and you're spiritually sensitive. So you must have an interesting story. I mean, you, I mean, you were probably an old soul to begin with, but still, even once, once we're here, we still have to work our way through the miasma and do our own healing and, and find our place and our calling. And um, normally I do this in the beginning of the interview, but we just kind of got right into it and I just kind of followed the energy. But I want to backtrack and give you a chance to, to tell your personal story kind of about kind of how you got to where you are today. I, I don't know in terms of your personal story, I know almost nothing. All I know is that, uh, is that you live in the east side of Australia and you're married and you have kids and, you're, and you seem like you hardly ever sleep and you're writing all the time. <laughs> and that's about all I know about you. So I was just following my intuition to reach out to you because uh, I felt so alive every time I would... Every time I would read something you wrote, I would go, yes, I'm not fucking alone. <laughs> oh, good. You know, I'm not, I, I, yeah. I, you know, most of my life I feel like, uh, do you know the, the famous uh, book that Heinlein wrote in the 60s called Stranger in a Strange Land? Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. So Robert Heinlein, H-E-I-N-L-E-I-N was a pretty famous sci-fi writer who wrote mostly in like the 50s and 60s, I think, and maybe early 70s. And I think his most famous and accessible book, it's a short read, is Stranger in a Strange Land. And he uses the genre of science fiction to have us look at our society through the eyes of an outsider. And um, there are certain concepts that are just totally foreign to the protagonist, like like the protagonist doesn't understand the concept of jealousy. It's yeah. just, it, it completely doesn't register. He doesn't understand this whole jealousy business. And so there's lots of things. It's he, uses the, the, he uses the vehicle of science fiction to get us to look at our assumptions and to look at ourselves. And, um, you know, for most of my life, I have felt kind of like, that character, kind of like a stranger in a strange land, like, uh, like you know, uh, what did I sign up for? <laughs> kind of that kind of feeling. And um, 
And, you know, it took me a long time to make peace with the earth and with society and with human beings and to, to realize uh, what my mission was and where I fit into all of this. But, um, but it can be challenging. And so um, I'd love to hear your story and kind of, kind of how you, kind of what life was like for you as a child and a teenager and a young person and kind of uh, how you got here. All right, well, I was, um, I was an odd child. Um, I looked a little like Wednesday Adams and I was probably quite similar in um, temperament. I was uh, very imaginative and I had a lot of, you know, um, invisible friends and I was always writing little plays and stories and things in my mind and I had what I thought of as uh, secret magic powers. Like I remember one time getting my little toy elephant to smile at me um, just by the power of my mind. So I, I, I had a really great parents and a really wonderful nurturing childhood um, where I thought I was extremely powerful. <clears throat> and I was never disavowed of that. Like, you know, my parents were very good at protecting me. Um, then I hit the ground running when I was about 18. I went overseas. I lived in London for a while and uh, I, all sorts of things happened to me, dark, crazy things. Um, and it was like the light just switched off. You know, I'd been a really happy, very naturally happy person who things, gifts had just fallen from the sky for. Um, <clears throat> And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I did really want to see the seedier side of, of, of the world. So um, uh, I came back here, um, more seedy things happened. <laughs> I, I developed, um, you know, some uh, diseases and things like that. I became quite physically ill. I started to look to... to um, well, first I looked to Western medicine to help me and that couldn't really help me. Uh, and then so I started to look to more alternative um, ideas. Um, and that's when I discovered uh, muscle memory and going in deep into my muscle memory and, and how that could speak to me, how my body could speak to me and tell me stories about myself, where I'd been, what trauma I had and also how to get rid of it you know, um, how to expunge it from my, myself and heal myself. So that was a long process. But, um, but in that time, I became, my, you know, my thoughts became clearer and I started to see the world more clearly. Um, <clears throat> and I became a lot less uh, busy in my brain. I was a very, very anxious person uh, when I was sick. There was always a lot of buzz, a lot of stories going on. And as I threw these, these old wounds off, the, the space got more and more. And my mind cave cleaned itself. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that's, I, I, like, I don't really know how to describe it. There's, but I, I, I guess I, I found a, a healing modality that worked for me. And, um, and then when I, and I, and then I met my wonderful husband, who's, American, he's from California and he, he's a, 
he's amazing. Um, and we were, he, he brought Bernie Sanders to me. He was like, you've got to see this guy. This guy is amazing. And we watched that little video of uh, Bernie talking to Katie Couric about how he was going to, um, to run for the presidency. And I remember the line where she said to him, she was all like, oh, you're so cute. Aren't you adorable? But you're not really, you know, you're running to, to push the party to the left. And he said something like, no, I'm running to become the president of America. And I just remember my body just filling with like joy. <laughs> and I didn't know who this guy was. I didn't know why I felt that way, but I was just like, yeah, I want that too. I want that. Um, and he said it in such a, like an uncertain way. It was probably the first time he'd said it out loud. And um, I just, everything in my body wanted that to happen. So I became quite obsessed with, with him and the whole journey. My husband as well. Um, he's very much a part of my writing. We riff off each other all the time. We kind of, uh, very much twin flames. We just, you know, we, we're not really separate people. So we, um, yeah, we became, like you said, it, 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 it was all inner work until then. And then suddenly there was this opportunity in the world to bring light. Um, and I couldn't help but take it. Did you know you had writing talent or did you surprise yourself or what? Oh, I, yeah, no, I've always written. Um, I come from a family of writers and, um, you know, during, I have always found writing to be very healing for me. I wrote a book called The Angel Chronicles um, that was kind of a sigil that got me healthier, you know, um, but also started the process of me seeing the world for what it was. I think for me, the the spiritual uh, unwinding for me was at first I had to see everything as perfect. Everything around me was perfect and anything that argued with that I had to look at within myself uh, and that was, that, that was there to, for me to, to wrestle with as an illusion and as to be healed. So I did that for many years and that was very healing but... Um, Ultimately, you can't change anything in the world if you're, if you're like that. If you're thinking everything's perfect, then, um, then that's, that's got, there's no motility there. There's no, there's no burn. There's no fire. You can't actually create things or, or heal them properly in the world. So, um, yeah, I wrote this, this book called The Angel Chronicles, the first book of that. And in that, I got a lot of downloads, I would call them, about about how the world has been co-opted by evil forces, by a few people. And while it was coming to me, it seemed so surreal that, you know, that, that there should be like a little cabal of people who, uh, who control everything through black magic. And, uh, you know, when you put it like that, it just sounds, it just sounds mad. It sounds crazy. Um, but I, it all, that's how it is actually, you know, there's money has created gods out of a few people and their, their agenda rules the planet. Their small ego agenda rules the entire planet and their ego agenda includes oil, 
and wars for the, that oil and and other sick things. You know, there's their sexuality plays into it. Their sexuality is shaping the sh shape of humanity's sexuality um, as well into an unhealthy form. You know, I think we can probably, um, with this Pizzagate thing, the way that our culture um, deifies the, the youthful shape, the, you know, the adolescent shape in fashion and in videos and so forth, we can see where those, those roots are. You know, we, we live in a pedophilic culture. We, we you know, we deify pedophilia. We, we think of sexiness in terms of slim hips and no boobs and, and the pre, um, a prepubescent form. So I don't know how, where, do, where was I going with that? I can't remember. <laughs> but anyway, I, yeah, I, I was, started to see that through this book. Like, I, was, I was asking you if you um, had always known that you were a good writer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then you, you just started riffing up on all this stuff, and I, I didn't want to interrupt you because I figured you were going to bring it together somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, don't let me go. You, you've got you've to let hold me to a... <laughs> no, I, I just mean that I've written about 30, 40 books or something in my, before this. I'm a very uh, practice writer, if, um, if anything. Um, and I wrote a lot of horoscope books, a lot of astrology books, which um, means you kind of have to turn off your critical mind because <laughs> there's no real re way of writing horoscopes correctly. So um, I, I got good at just uh, basically just um, writing things that, that uh, w without my critical, inner critic attacking them. So, um, I think astrology can be a useful tool to uh, activate the higher mind. Well, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm sure it can. It can also be a tool that uh, boxes people as well. No, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking about the 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 positive possibility of it. The, yeah. the actual learning the language until until the the horoscope starts to speak to you, to get to that point, it requires um, an opening of the higher mind to, to have that kind of communication. So maybe at some level that was going on. I definitely think that was helping me. I don't really know how. I just know that my, uh, after doing that, I, I disconnected my talking mind from my writing ability. So uh, I, I type in silence, basically. I, uh -huh. I, I don't think about what I'm going to write and write it within words and then type it. So it's yeah. almost like a download? Pardon? It's almost like a download? Yeah, it is. Well, you know, yeah, I guess people uh -huh. call it like that. So, yeah, I, and I think that that writing so frequently too because I had to do those things uh, just... I had to do them every day. I was writing eight or nine hours a day um, and relentlessly as well. So you, you, yeah. you start to get, things start to really kind of streamline when you do things like that. You, 
you really kind of streamline your approach. And so, yeah, I do think that had something to do with um, being able to write. So you have, a, you have a wonderful marriage with your soulmate, and you have how many children? Two. We have two. And they're how old? They're, uh, uh, well, one will be 13 soon, and one will, has just turned 16. And then what part of, uh, what part of Australia are you in? In Melbourne, which okay. is down south, southeast. Yes, yes. Um, and what is the consciousness like in Australia now in terms of uh, awareness about these matters? Is it something that is very, very fringy or is this something that is starting to seep into the conversation? Ah, uh, it's very fringy here. Uh, the... I mean, we, we get basically the mainstream media. Um, the uptake of internet is not quite quite on a par with America because uh, I think the internet had everything to do with Bernie's success and with the awakening, a political awakening in America. Um, so it's, you know, uh, locally people, you know, who follow my Facebook uh, no one writing about some some Bernie guy, or <laughs> but they don't really get it. Um, Is there any community of uh, mature spiritual uh, people that you that are part of your fabric of your life at all, or is it pretty much just you and your husband? Um, I do have a few friends uh, close by, but you yeah, know, pretty much. Uh, it's me and my husband here, and my awesome kids. Well, um, it's so good that you're able to get so much nurturing energy from your family then. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I have a wonderful family life. I really do. So it's always a lot of fun here. Um, it's always very light. There's always a lot of jokes, um, a lot of singing and dancing. It's very noisy. And, and you don't have noisy. to work out of your home. Uh, yeah, we yeah, I work from home. So, um, but it's I've got a nice little uh, spot up the on the second story, so uh -huh. <laughs> I can close the door. Um, but I'm very fortunate. I, I've uh, both the kids are away at school, um, and then I've usually finished my writing by the time they get home. So we get to have you know a bit of dinner and some fun. And, That's um, great. So I've been teasing you because you are so prolific in your writing. I've been teasing you about asking you if you ever sleep. <laughs> uh, do you have an unusual sleep pattern? You know, uh, are you familiar with polyphasic sleeping? Uh, yeah. Well, I do love a good nap and I do, I don't need, if I have a good nap during the day, then I don't need eight hours at all. You know, I can get by on four or five of, a, of an evening. I just let my body kind of um, tell me when I need to sleep. Um, Is there so a particular really... time of the day or night when you find you do your best writing? Um, I'm more of a nighttime person, but um, I think with children, you kind of just fit them in as where you can. You can't really get too, too finickety about <laughs> when it's going to happen. If there's, there's, if there's an opening, then I have to write. So, 
Um, do you have and whatever's some, ready to write has to be written. Do you have some rituals? Like, do you have, like, when you want to write, do you have, like, uh, your, a favorite beverage or a favorite piece of music you like to put on or it's just whatever? I can't write with any music or any stimulus, like oral stimulus. I, it has to be quiet. Um, okay. It doesn't matter if it's background noise, but um, if it's got words or things like that, I can't. Right. I just can't. Unless I'm really in the zone, sometimes um, it doesn't matter. But it sounds um, like it sounds like you go. It sounds like you go into an altered state where your senses are hyper acute. Yeah. Well, I for years used my uh, ring as a pendulum to get in touch with my body, um, my muscle memory. You know, my yeah. body's memory. So I will often start swinging that and stuff and seeing what my body wants to write about. What ah. Very interesting. So that's one of your, that's one of your ways through the door. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. and I guess I, I kind of in doing so, I'm also entering into a hypnotic state. Like yeah. I haven't really thought about that till you said, but yeah, that's probably yeah. what's happening. I definitely go into a, oh, you know, a level of consciousness. I can kind of feel myself go under. It's yes. more downwards. Um, then an upwards, I just go down and then there's this kind of quiet space where I write from. I understand. Uh, how did you connect? Like I, I found you through a friend who started posting your stuff and was loving it. And then, and then when I followed the links, it took me back to Newslog where I'm reading your stuff now. Um, is that what, the main place where most of your stuff is posted now? And how did you, how did you end up, deciding to post on newslog.com? Well, I was at Inquisitor, which um, that's how I started. In, in February, I applied for a job there and got it. And um, I was writing hard news for them for a little while with a few Bernie stories in between. And, um, and then about August, I think, August, September, that was, that was when I started writing opinion pieces um, pretty hardcore because there was so little being said from the feeling of, of everyone. There was very few writers who were writing what people were feeling. Um, and this just seemed like an obvious opening to me that was just crying out to be filled right. of just, you know, voicing people's fears, their predictions, their, um, you know, their dismay, their grief, their joy about what, what was, we were seeing. It seemed like um, we needed a kind of catharsis of some sort. Um, so I started writing these opinion pieces and they, they, they went really well. Um, probably a little too well. <laughs> so my Inquisitor's great. Like they, they're pretty hands-off. Um, they only uh, hire journalists and stuff and they hold you to a reasonably high journalistic standard and they don't edit you. Like, they, it's only a light edit post-publishing. So you can publish what, what you believe, you know, is correct and then, and then they, publish, they edit after. So, um, so I have no, nothing bad to say about them, but... Um, they did start to get a lot of eyes looking at them because of 
me and a few others. There were a few others at Inquisitor who were writing very pro-progressive pieces. Um, and a lot of heat was coming on to them. And then when that fake news stuff broke and they, their name appeared on one of those fake news spreadsheets, one of the fake, fake ones, uh, and then Zuckerberg started talking about downpaging um, recognised fake news outlets and stuff. They really had to do something about their business model because um, right, right. they were going to lose everything, you know, <laughs> if they got stuck with this fake news mantle. So they asked me to tone it down a bit. <laughs> so I tried, right? <laughs> It's not in your. It's not in your DNA. No, I just, I did, I, I, I could not not write truth. Like I had to write what I, what yeah. everyone was feeling. That's what. That's all I was doing. I didn't feel like I was. I had no agenda or anything like that. I just had to write what was there. So, um, so I, <laughs> so I didn't really know how to fulfil their wishes. But anyway, I did try, and then. They were like, no, that's not trying. And I was like, I can't understand what you want from me. And they're like, well, basically we just need you to shut up for a bit. And um, I mean, um, this is not quite exactly how it went down. They were, they were pretty sweet about it, but they, they did make it very clear that I, I was not allowed to rant anymore <clears throat> and certainly not on a daily basis. So I started just writing for this other outlet, which had come up to me at Newslog, um, out of the, you know, the vortex, uh, I, I checked it out a bit and they'd asked me to write for them and I'd done a few pieces for it and so I just started writing their, you know, my pieces. Um, and they've been pretty good. So they, they, leave, they leave you alone. They leave me alone. Uh, they threw me some money at the end. It's not great. Like, I'm going to have to work out something in terms of uh, paying the bills. But, um, but they definitely leave me alone. Apparently, it's easy to read online and on the phone. Um, and I can write pretty much what I want. And so I've got a little Patreon account as well running alongside that. Um, so, so people can send you money. So, yeah, people can patronise me. So, um, and that's building a nice little um, nest egg there too. Um, slowly, slowly. So I, I feel like this is a good, healthy way for me to move. Um, we'll Do you have see. much of a sense of, like, where things are going for you? Like, do you have, like, any clear vision of... Like, do you see yourself in a year or two or three in with any major changes or pretty much more of the same? No, I have no idea. I don't know. Life picked me up and said, do this. And it might as well set me down and say, no, that's enough of that. Let's do this. So um, it's a very light hand approach uh -huh. always with me. So I, it feels very much like I need to be here and doing this. Uh, I'm very enthused and full of energy for it. Uh, and then we'll see that it might, it might continue this. Yeah, we, we might be talking in a year's time and I'm still doing it. And um, I'm, I find myself piecing together 
books, like I'm putting together a little book of um, people's perception of the, the Bernie thing, the revolution. So I've been doing interviews in my downtime about that. Um, so I guess that will come together soonish. Would you, would you uh, give our listeners, uh, maybe you can speak slowly, uh, give them the contact information if they want to read your stuff and give them the contact information if they want to send you some money? Oh, okay. Well, the, the best page really is my Facebook page. Um, I post all my articles up there. So the, the address to that is facebook.com slash, and then it's Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-A Johnstone, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N-E. What's between Caitlin and Johnstone? A for Alan. That's my mother's maiden name, actually. I don't have a real maiden name, but it wouldn't let me pick Caitlin Johnston, so I, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went with my... <laughs> so the, uh, so my Caitlin and the letter A and Johnstone. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's how they would find you on Facebook, and then they could click on links there, and that would take them to the full interview? Uh, yeah, so, the, yes, there's always, I post every day or sometimes twice a day my stories and that will take you to the news log stories uh, where you can you can actually sign up to be a um, member there and then you can get alerts from when I post as well there. So there's a little community happening there. And, and then if, also, if people want to send you money. Well, there's a sign-up button on the... the um, the Facebook page that takes you direct to Patreon, to my Patreon account. So um, just click the sign up button. Okay. My Patreon account's like not got my name on it. It's something like, it's got three fours in it, which I do love. Oh yeah. I'm user number 4445783. But people don't have to know that. No, they don't have to know that. Okay. They get to my Facebook and, um, and click sign up. Um, that'll take them straight there. So, okay. and any money is appreciated. I love, I love my patrons so much. You know, a dollar, two dollars a month is fantastic. <laughs> Just um, feels really good to be supported by the whole rather than a top-down approach. To Absolutely. Be pushed up from the from the people. Um, yes, you know, yes, yes, like, yes. Caitlin, is there anything you would like to say? In closing, uh, just want to give you the forum. You can download it, whatever, anything <laughs> at all that you would like to bless our listeners with before you go. Well, I just want to say you are right and they are wrong. And I say that often to a lot of people because people feel very confused when they look out into the world and everyone is telling them the story that is the exact opposite of what they are seeing. And I just want everyone to know that what you are seeing is, is right. <laughs> and what they're telling you is wrong. Um, and in any situation that's, if you look for the actions, 
dismiss the words, you will see what is going on. Um, we are mainly being befuddled by, by words. Um, and that's all they are. It's just the narrative um, has been used, co-opted by forces to keep us from looking at the real things that are actually happening. So watch the actions and dismiss the words and you are right and they are wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. Our guest today has been Australian author and journalist, Caitlin Johnstone. You can connect with her at, on Facebook at Caitlin A. Johnstone, that's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N-E. If you would like to get her writings on a regular basis, just sign up on that page. And there's also a place where you can click and become one of her patrons because she's not beholden to any advertisers or employers at all. So let's support all the good work that's going on. Uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for, for being with me today on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. It was wonderful, David. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And we'll close until next time with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.